Turning the other cheek is not necessarily a sign of weakness, but it can be a sign of strength rather than striking back. That would be a sign of not being able to control yourself. But the real power is with you because you have the self-discipline and the self-control not to use the ways of evil to destroy evil. You can never destroy evil by evil itself. Uh, it can't be done. Evil can only be destroyed by love. And I think St. Paul mentions that in uh, one of the epistles, the, you know, join your sufferings to, to those of Christ. Right? That they may be, you know, his suffering may be made perfect to, through your contribution, I guess, or, or your participation, I guess is a better word. So we can actually, through our suffering today, we can actually help Jesus to redeem the world. Absolutely. By combining our suffering with his suffering on the cross. Absolutely. I love thee, I adore thee, I worship thee. I ask pardon for those who do not love thee, do not adore thee, do not worship thee, O Lord. It's important not to try to deal with it on your own, but seek God's grace to assist you in that suffering. Sure. You know, so that's part of suffering well is, is not trying to take it on yourself, but to, right. but to seek God's grace in that situation. Good evening. Welcome to tonight's show. I'm Tony Miller with KCDM and I'll be your host. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Pastor's Perspective. We are in the sixth week of Ordinary Time and we'll be previewing the Gospel of Matthew for the seventh Sunday of Ordinary Time. I'd like to introduce the posse tonight, uh, Father Mike. Hello. And we have a special guest tonight. Uh, Deacon Gary is with us. Welcome, Deacon Gary. Good evening, everyone. It's good to have you here. Thanks for uh, filling in. We have uh, Father Marty is in Florida, uh, hitting the links on the golf course down there, and hopefully doing some, some praying and reflection too. And Father James is at the uh, Notre Dame Regional Girls Basketball game tonight. So he is there uh, cheering them on and su uh, supplying some moral support. So uh, we, w we wish them well and hope they do well in their game. In our news and notes tonight, we have Ash Wednesday will be next Wednesday, a week from this show will start on Monday the 13th, but uh, the 22nd is Ash Wednesday? I believe it is, yes. And is there anything special about uh, the Lenten season this year, or it's the uh, prescribed 40 days, I would assume? It's the 40 days of prayer and almsgiving and... Uh offering up of our sufferings, which we're going to be dealing with later on tonight. <laughs> so uh, it's it's a season of great grace, a season of uh, great advancement in the spiritual life if we allow God to do that with us. So all we got to do is figure out uh, what you're going to do extra or what you're going to give up or how you're going to celebrate it as a family. Hopefully you do something as a family for Lent. Uh, very good. Deacon Gary, we the last time we had you on the show, uh, it was a week before your ordination, as I recall, 
I don't remember what episode that was, but uh, it was back in the end of June, beginning of July, as I recall. Something like that. Uh, July 9th was ordination day. And uh, yeah, so we're looking at what, been six, seven, eight months now, uh, something like that since ordination. And what, uh, what, uh, what are your impressions your first six or eight months? What, uh, it been mostly highlights or have there been some low lights or how's it going? <laughs> uh, mostly highlights. Um, I'm learning about uh, how much I enjoy uh, being with people, uh, ministering to people, assisting people. Um, I guess I shouldn't say I wasn't expected. It's just the lived experience, I guess, is, you know, you can't necessarily uh, predict how things are going to go until you start living it. Uh, but it's been good. Yeah, very good. I think he does a great job. Absolutely. Especially <laughs> yeah. your homilies. I enjoy your homilies, believe it or not. Well, I, learned, I learned something from your homilies. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Mike. You're welcome. Yeah, very good. It's uh, it's kind of neat to, having worked with you all those years at the Hawkeye, and uh, I've known you for quite a while, it's kind of neat to see you up there on the altar and around town and everything, doing, doing good things for the... Uh, for the parishioners, so yeah. very, very good to have you here. I'm glad you came. That's good to be here. Otherwise, it would have been another Father Mike at the Mike episode. <laughs> <laughs> We've done so, that before. That's right. Uh, so, uh, Father Mike, would you like to get us started with an opening I prayer? I would be happy to. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Heavenly Father, as we look forward to the season of grace, which is called Lent, we tonight investigate uh, the things that will kind of help us to make a better Lent, especially the whole attitude of fulfilling the fullness of your will, being as much like you as possible, and enduring the sufferings of our everyday life. Give us the grace, Lord, to be open to you in all things, even when we don't understand why, so that we may come to the fullness of your grace in our life. We ask all of this now through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Mike. Uh, tonight, the posse will discuss Matthew's reading for the seventh Sunday in Ordinary Time, and that's chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. And in this reading, Jesus has us turning the other cheek and giving our cloaks away. This gospel is full of some very hard things, especially the last line. Be perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect. And Gary, you're going to be our guest reader tonight for the Gospel. I will. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, Offer no resistance to one who is evil. When someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other one as well. If anyone wants to go to law with you over your tunic, hand over your cloak as well. Should anyone press you into service for one mile, go for two miles. Give to the one who asks of you, and do not turn your back on one who wants to borrow. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your heavenly Father. 
For he makes his sun rise on the bad and the good, and causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what recompense will you have? Do not the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what is unusual about that? Do not the pagans do the same? So be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Thank you, Gary. The, the Gospel starts off by saying, Offer no resistance to one who is evil. And that seems a little counterintuitive to me. Aren't we supposed to resist the devil? Aren't we supposed to resist evil and fight evil? We're supposed to resist evil, absolutely, all the way. But there's a big difference between evil itself and the person who is engaged in evil. And our Lord here is concentrating on the person. And he's trying to tell us that we shouldn't treat the person themselves as intrinsically evil and carry out our resistance against them personally, but against the evil that they represent. Now, that sounds a little convoluted, but uh, there's a big difference in the way we react, you know. It's like hating the sin and loving the sinner. Okay, that's what much. I was just going to say. That sounds a lot like hate the sin, but not the sinner. Very much so. Very good. When he's talking about turning the other cheek, that is not an easy, uh, that's not an easy instinct for most people. Most of us want to just smack them right back. Um, how, how do you um, how do you learn to react that way or get not react according to your nature, if you will? I think it probably takes practice and some self control. Um, I heard uh, Father Robert Barron in the Catholicism series talk about how. Turning the other cheek is not necessarily a sign of weakness, but it can be a sign of strength rather than striking back. That would be a sign of not being able to control yourself, but also the other option of running away. Well, that does not help the situation, but to stand there and turn the other cheek is a kind of a sign of uh, resistance. Um, kind of like if you think about the nonviolent movement um, mm. of the uh, Martin Luther King and, and of that that time, you know, the nonviolence helps the unjustness of the situation, makes it visible. When it, it when, almost amplifies it, doesn't right, it? Right, right. So if you, you stand there as a show of personal strength, not not weakness either in running or in, in fighting back, but, you know, standing your ground and, and it'll help that unjustness of the situation be visible to others. So it's almost being uh, firm in your commitment. It has another effect, too, because it incites the evildoer into a greater kind of rage because they see that you are stronger than they are. And they resort to violence as a way of showing their so-called power. But the real power is with you because you have the self-discipline and the self-control not to use the ways of evil to destroy evil. You can never destroy evil by evil itself. Uh, it can't be done. Evil can only be destroyed by love. And that's a hard lesson to learn. Mm -hmm. The next section, it talks about, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And, and that comes from the law of Moses, right? 
So it isn't everything that follows that, that Jesus talks about, isn't that really undoing, refuting the eye for eye and a tooth for a tooth? Well, even, you know, when we, when we hear those words, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, I know we take that as being um, retribution. If somebody has harmed you in some way, you harm them back. But in actuality, that law was actually uh, meant to limit retribution. So, so if someone, you know, put out your eye, you couldn't kill them. You know, you could only, only, your only just reward, uh, recourse oh. was to put out their eye. Um, however, so when you understand that as limiting retribution, then Jesus is limiting retribution even less. Somebody once said that if you really follow that law, it's going to leave all of us blind and toothless. Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. there's something very practical in that as well. We're back to loving our enemy again. Uh, did the old law say it was okay to hate your enemies? I think, yeah, the implication there uh, was, you know, you've heard that it was said. There's no, he doesn't say exactly where it was said, but the idea was that your enemy was your enemy and you could hate your enemy. Uh, what our Lord is saying, you can't hate anybody. He's saying you have to love your enemy. Mm -hmm. um, all of this, to my mind anyway, all of this points to the innocence that God is demanding of his followers. Uh, we're going to find out later on as we read the scriptures that that St. Uh, John the Baptist talks about the, the Savior, the Messiah, as the Lamb of God. And one of the great qualities of a lamb is its total innocence. It's led to the slaughter. We are asked to be people who are be willing to be led to the slaughter for the sake of, of the Lord. And uh, there's a lot of difficulty connected with all of that. We're not supposed to use the tools of evil to, do, to, to, to destroy evil. And that's a lesson that today has not yet been completely learned. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Um, and I know, for me anyway, praying for my enemies is difficult, and loving them is really hard. Right. How do you get over that? How do you love your neighbor as yourself? I think you first have to look to the example of Christ. We can't do any of these things. All of these, these injunctions are absolutely humanly impossible without the grace of God. And so we have to look at the example of the Son of God for assistance in doing all of that. And what did Jesus say the first moment of his crucifixion when he mounted the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And, uh, and every, every other action of his life was geared towards that divine mercy, that divine forgiveness. And if we're going to be followers of Christ, we have, to, we have to be part of that. We have to exercise that in our own lives. But we can only do that by our union with him, because he gives us the grace to do it. Well, I think that starts with prayer then. If you're uh, going to teach yourself to love your enemy... You have to start by praying for them, whether you feel like praying for them or not. Um, and how that prayer affects them or you, you, yeah, wait and find out. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's that grace that uh, Father Mike talked about through prayer. You start there and, and, and seek that grace. 
We believe that through prayer things can happen, so yeah. you see. And it's an ongoing and sometimes a very long process to get to that point. I'm reminded yeah. of the story about the about the convent, these, these women living together and consecrated vows and all the rest of them. And sometimes they have difficulties with each other. We, we, we kind of think, you know, all these nuns are saints by their very nature. And they will be the first to tell you that that's not true. You have to learn to accept the faults of other people. And they tell the story about an old nun who lived her full life in the convent and did very well. But she resented a young nun who had, had many more gifts than she had. And it came to the time where she resented it so much that she made life very difficult for the young nun. And uh, the young nun was totally innocent, but, but jealousy creeped in and all the rest of that. And finally, the old nun was dying and the young nun was given the task of taking care of her in her last hours. And the young nun really had great, great sanctity. And uh, she treated her very compassionately. And the old nun couldn't understand this because she said, you know, I've been out to get you ever since you entered the convent. I tried to get you dismissed from the convent. You, you know, I never liked you. And the young nun said, yes, I know that. And she said, well, then why are you being so nice to me? And the uh, young nun said, sister, I figured if I could love you, I could love anybody. <laughs> so I'm trying to do that. And I think that has that is a great lesson for all of us. Mm -hmm. And it, it is what, what Gary was saying about grace and prayer. Um, uh, going to Mass and receiving communion, you get grace from that. Going to confession, you sure. get grace from that. So all of the sacraments can help with the grace that we need to help love our enemies. And one of the, I, I find this personally, that one of the things you'll find in doing this, in trying to love your enemy, is that you'll see your own advancement through God's grace. You'll see that you get to a point where your enemy, you know, is no longer your enemy, but maybe almost even your friend. I told the story last week about my friend, a priest who I had some difficulty with, and I decided that I wasn't going to hate him. I was going to try to love him. And because of that, that, that desire, that friendship, friendship developed. And uh, it's a mar marvelous thing to see how God's grace works inside you like that. So what about the section in the, in the gospel where it talks about making the sun rise and fall on the good and the bad and the rain fall on the just and the unjust? Is that talking about God treating the Jews and the Gentiles and, and wanting everybody to be part of the kingdom? Or what, what's the point of that section? What, what's he trying to say there? Well, I'm not sure I would say Jews and Gentiles because you're putting one of those as being just or unjust or bad or good. I, I, but I do think it's, he's just saying that um, God's blessings, God loves everyone, all that he's created, offers blessings to all. Shouldn't think of ourselves as better or, you know, or, or worse, but, uh, but try to love all as God loves all. I guess you would say. Um, it, it's easy to love those who love us. It talks in the, in the gospel about the, the tax collectors do that. And then it talks again about the pagans. Is that a slam or a diss to the people of that time? 
saying that if you if you only love the people who love you, then you're no better than a tax collector? No, I don't think so. Uh, I think he's just reflecting reality, you know. It's easy, like you said at the first part there, it's easy to love those who love you. I mean, people who are good to you, it's easy to be good back to them. They do something nice for you, it's easier to do something nice for them than it is to do something good or nice for somebody that is not good to you. Uh, but our Lord is asking a higher standard here. And the standard is you don't do something good for another person simply because they do something good for you. But you do something good for another person because they're another person. Because somehow, in your mind, you, re you realize the, the, the essential goodness that is there as a creature created in the image and likeness of God. And that's what you're respecting in doing something good for them, you know. It's a higher standard than just an ordinary humanist standard. It's a standard that's essentially Christian, essentially according to the way that our Lord himself, Jesus Christ, have, uh, lived mm -hmm. in his life and the way he treated other people. And when you think about as a parent and you look at your children, you want them to treat everybody nicely. I remember mm -hmm. when my my one of my daughters was in uh, junior high school, and she was in one group of friends, and they they were kind of like they would be your friends if you were only friends with that group. You That's couldn't right. be friends with others, and <laughs> and she, I said, you can be friends with everybody, and and I think she kind of took that to heart. Um, but uh, so yeah, as as a father, you want your your kids to be loving to all, and I think that's how it's talking about it uh, to be. To learn, you you have to learn how to be loving to those that may not love you, and so Jesus by this the, the end at the the line at the end, you know, to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Uh, there again, Jesus is raising the bar through all of these, as you know, for us to grow uh, in our ability to love others as as Jesus does, as God does, whether they love us back or not. Yeah. Interesting. Jesus was our model. So the uh, the line about be perfect as your heavenly pop, father is perfect. There's no way we can be perfect, is there? I, do, I don't. If you literally translate that, yeah, I think you, you come to that conclusion. How can we be as perfect as God is perfect? He's God. But if we attempt to go down that road, we attempt to be as perfect as we possibly can be. We're fulfilling what he asks of us, you know. Um, uh, to be perfect in ourselves we, uh, is achieved only by his grace. So relying completely on him, he will give us the grace. He'll give us the strength necessary to be fully what we are supposed to be. One of the great saints, or a couple of the great saints in the past said that the glory of God is man, means woman too, man or woman fully alive, fully exercising in themselves the things that make them truly human and truly like God. And so uh, I think that's, that's really what he's saying there. He is perfect as your heavenly father is. And, and so if, when, when, we, when we go to our final judgment, if we've at least tried to be perfect or made an effort to try to be perfect, then God will take that into account. Absolutely. And I think we got to... 
change the terms a little bit. I know it says be as perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect, but that's a little disconcerting from the very beginning. It's a little, uh, you know. <laughs> I, I think That's exactly should, what I thought when I read it. <laughs> sure, and I didn't even write that either. But uh, I think... I think it just means try to do the very best you can. Just like we tell our kids, do the very best you can and that will be enough. And we'll find out with God's grace, it's more than enough. We'll be more perfect than we thought we could be. I remember when I was a kid, my dad always used to say, I'm not perfect, but I'm as close as you'll ever see. <laughs> so He must have been a remarkable man. You know, he gave you a lot of, you share with us a lot of those wise things, you know. Mm -hmm. At the time, you probably didn't think they were that wise. He but, had a million uh, of them, yeah. The other one he always said when we were working on the farm was, do something, do anything, even if it's wrong. <laughs> That's great. Okay, well, that will end our discussion on the Bible or the gospel reading tonight. For those who are just tuning in, uh, we have uh, Deacon Gary has joined us tonight, kind of a special guest uh, for in the posse tonight. And, and we're happy to have him too. And Father Mike is here, and we're gathered around the table tonight. Thanks for joining us for the show. We're happy you tuned in. Uh, we're getting ready to start on our second half of the show tonight. And our topic for this evening is suffering. And um, I remember last week when I mentioned that at the end of the show that the topic for next week would be suffering, Father Marty laughed out loud. <laughs> I said something about uh, with Lent upcoming that uh, we would be talking about suffering. So I listened to that uh, session. Uh, a lot of times we'll listen to the sessions the week following. And I thought, oh, it doesn't sound very good because you mentioned real solemnly the next week we're going to talk about suffering. And then all of us laughed all at once. <laughs> and it didn't really sound the way we wanted it to sound. But what happened in there was that Marty had said, Father Marty had said something that made us all laugh. So, uh, But there is something funny about uh, having to endure suffering, to believe it or not. At the time, it's not funny at all. But uh, there's something incongruent to human desires about suffering, which we'll get into in a few minutes. Let's go ahead and launch into that then. Um, where does suffering come from? Uh, what, what causes suffering to be a part of our daily lives? I think it's part of our human condition. I think we have to be honest enough to recognize that it's part of being a human being. Uh, spiritually, biblically, we could go back to the very beginning and we could say it's a result of original sin. That is the original disobedience of one man to God's will for us. Uh, it's not something that we uh, should have, it's something that we shouldn't cherish in the sense that uh, uh, it's a gift or something. It only becomes a gift if we accept it in the right way and use it in the right way. And that's a, that takes a lifetime to learn sometimes for some people. But uh, it's part of the human condition. And so uh, we should we should see it in that light. And we live in a world that's uh, there's you know it's not a perfect world. There's natural disasters that are things that just happen, and people suffer from that. Uh, there there's many ways that suffering can come about, and some of it's caused by uh, humans being unjust with other humans, and sometimes you know uh, things just happen and. 
Yeah, the the um, the earthquake in the in oh, Turkey and terrible, Syria. Terrible, unbelievable. I, I heard tonight on the news before I came over here that the the death toll is up over twenty thousand. Sure. And it's it's going to go higher than that. Absolutely. Um, that's really a, a a bad situation. Um, so in the Old Testament, there was a belief that that those who were afflicted uh, were sinners or did something to deserve the suffering. Um, is is that a is that a biblical belief? You don't see that much in the New Testament. That seems to be an Old Testament thing. So, uh, do we deserve to suffer now? I mean, because of uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I would I would say we deserve to suffer. It is just there again. It's it's part of something that. Every person is going to experience in life some form of suffering. Um, the difficulties relating with other people, you know, sometimes there's difficulties within families. I think it's just something that is. Now, some people make choices in their life that brings them suffering, but uh, I don't think that's, I don't think we should, you could say we deserve suffering. I think it's just part of what we're going to experience in this world. Our Lord was quick to point out that it wasn't because of somebody else's sin, of the parent's sin, if you will, that the children have to suffer in all these different instances. So suffering comes, as Gary just tried to, to say, is that it comes from a lot of different sources. Uh, the big thing is not so much as, you know, why is it there? It's there because of the human condition. But what do we do with it? How do we handle it? How do we adjust to it? How do we use it? And that's a big problem today. The whole medical system today, that's a great enemy of medicine is suffering. The only bigger enemy would be death. And so their whole purpose is to, first of all, alleviate a death, which is totally impossible. And, uh, and then next to that would be to alleviate as much suffering as possible. Mm -hmm. And those are good things. Those are good things. We're not meant to suffer. Uh, and that's why I agree with Gary in saying that we shouldn't say that we, we, we're supposed to have suffering. But the suffering is there whether we want it or not. And so we have to learn how to use it. Which are the best ways to, to use it. So it's not so much that we deserve to suffer, it's it's how we deal with the suffering that we do have to I do. I think so, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So are, are suffering and evil related or linked together? Oh, I yes. mean, is there, a, is there a cause and effect to evil and suffering? Yeah, suffering comes from evil. Not, not all suffering comes from evil, but certainly if we willingly indulge in evil, we can expect suffering because we're, we're, we're violating God's plan for us. You know, God wants us to follow his plan so that things go well for us. He, he wants the well-being of humanity. Uh, and then we violate that. We're going to cause all kinds of problems in, in, in our life. And that suffering is going to be a major part of that. But it isn't as if God is sending this suffering directly to us. It's part of of the fact that we have violated his plan for us. Mm -hmm. It's just like, you know, you put sugar water in your gas tank instead of gas, you're going to suffer. The car is going to suffer. It's not going <laughs> to run. You're violating the plan of the maker of the car. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, can we avoid suffering? I mean, is is there a way to get out of it somehow or to um, um, minimize the effects of it? I don't think you can totally avoid suffering, but I think we can learn to live with suffering, learn to um, to grow through suffering in times. Not that uh, we don't, we're not sent suffering so that we can grow, but suffering is there, and uh, there can be cases where people are able to, to grow through experiencing suffering. Yeah. They can become more patient because of suffering. They can become more understanding of the faults of others because of suffering. They can be more empathetic towards others because of suffering. Or they can become worse because of suffering too. You know, if they fight it in a, in a way that goes against, you know, what God wants in their life, if we... Uh, suffering causes more evil and uh, you know we, we can become worse because of our suffering ultimately it's a profound mystery the whole mystery of suffering how many times both as a deacon and as a priest have we been subjected to the question why does God allow this suffering why does God allow me to suffer so much mm-hmm. or my children to suffer so much and why, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people absolutely <laughs> And that's a question that I think, at least in my case, it's a question I don't really like to be confronted with because I don't have the total answer to it. Um, I said, well, why don't you ask God that question, you know, (laughs) and then be quiet enough to receive the answer. And I don't mean to, you know, be humorous about that, but uh, I think it's it's really important. Sometimes suffering draws us closer to God Sometimes it pushes us further away from him, depending on how we handle it. There's a couple of personal autobiographies that I've read that give me some understanding of that. One is uh, written by Immaculee Ilibagiza. She wrote a book called Left to Tell about surviving the genocide in Rwanda back in the 90s. Um, She was in hiding in a bathroom for three months with... I think five other women in a just a small bathroom and everything you know is stripped away in that situation she's in hiding she's fearing for her life they're all fearing for their life but um, she had intense prayer experiences which you know led to having a vision even um, and having survived that she wouldn't not necessarily say that she wanted to experience that again, but she said that was the closest that she ever was to God in that time. So yeah, it's a terrible situation, and yet there was grace involved involved there that she was able to connect to, I guess you'd say. Mm -hmm. You look at the Holocaust in our own day, where you know whole whole Jewish people were almost totally devastated, and not just the Jews, many others as well, and the effect of that suffering, that brutal suffering that they had to go through, with some it led to their loss of faith in God. So many people, having gone through the Holocaust or in the middle of it, said, "Where is God in all of this?" And they lost faith in Him. Others, it it 
made saints out of them. You look at uh, Father Colby, Father Maximilian Colby, who in the middle of all of that gave up, freely gave up his life for a man that he didn't even know who was condemned to death. And the reason he did is because the man needed somebody to stand up for him, and he willingly did that. So uh, it can bring about both the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. I know when uh, when my dad was dying, one of the hardest conversations I had with him about a month before he died was he asked me why I have to suffer like this. Yeah, He had bladder cancer and spent the last six months of his life with tubes in his back to drain. Um, yeah. And it was, it was just not a good situation. And I told him at the time, I said, well, it, it's, you have to, uh, we have to suffer uh, down here before we die uh, to uh, combine our suffering with Christ's suffering on the cross in order to help redeem the world. Now, whether that was the right answer or not, I don't know, but I hope it gave him some consolation oh, sure. at the time. Um, I think that was very insightful because that essentially is the answer to suffering is when we unite our suffering to the suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross, it becomes redemptive. It takes on the same aspects that he gave us. And so uh, uh, we are assisting Christ in the salvation of the world. I know there's some people might object to the way to put the way I put that, but uh, that's exactly what he wants us to do, you know. It is redemptive, and a lot of people have a hard time to see that. They can't, they can't separate the trees from the forest in that. But it is redemptive. It has the power to redeem through the grace of Jesus Christ on the cross. And I think St. Paul mentions that in uh, one of the epistles, of, you know, join your sufferings to, to those of Christ. Right. That they may be, you know, his suffering may be made perfect through your contribution, I guess, or, or your participation, I guess is a better word. So we can actually, through our suffering today, we can actually help Jesus to redeem the world Absolutely. by combining our suffering with his suffering on the cross. Absolutely. Huh, interesting. Absolutely. I, I always feel a little uncomfortable talking about suffering because I'm not a very good sufferer. <laughs> I, always, I always tell Father James that I suffer in silence and he laughs at me because he knows that first time I'm indisposed and I don't feel good, he's the first one I call to tell him about it. So, um, so I'm not a very... My mom used to say the same thing. She said, you know, Michael, uh, when I'd have the flu or something and I'd be home in bed and she'd come in to answer all my needs... And I would be complaining to her about my sufferings as great as they were, nothing compared to what we're talking about tonight. But, you know, when you're hurting, you're hurting all over, and you want everybody to know that you're hurting. And she'd say, you know, Michael, everybody tells me what a great bedside manner you have as a priest, that you're so kind and all that. <laughs> she said, but when you're in the bed suffering yourself, you're worth nothing, she said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh... I think everybody is kind of that way to a certain extent. Sure. I know I am too. My wife tells me that I'm just the biggest baby when I'm sick <laughs> or have a cold or flu or something. Yeah. Um, sometimes that works for me. Sometimes that works against Absolutely. me. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Let's continue with the redemption part of it. I, I know when I was a kid, I always used to hear, offer it up. 
my grandmother when you tell her you were having troubles or things were hard or whatever, she'd say, offer it up, offer it up to Jesus. What does that mean? You've already talked about our suffering having redeeming value. Offer it up to Jesus, offer it up to who, who are we offering it up to? What's the, what's the point of that? I would say that, uh, and I've heard that too, a lot, a lot, an awful lot when I was a kid growing up, to the point where you hated to hear it because you thought, you don't understand what I'm going through. But uh, it, it's, it is the answer. You're, when somebody says offer it up without them even knowing it, what they're asking you to do is unite your suffering to the suffering of Christ. Offer it up to be joined to Christ's suffering himself. And what that does is that changes the whole nature of your suffering. You know, it, 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 uh, God uses that suffering to, to assist in his redemptive work of salvation. It's very interesting. If you go back to the last 150, 200 years, all the revelations that God has sent us in the, in the, in, in the events of, uh, of the apparitions of the Blessed Mother at Lourdes and Fatima and everybody's house, the one thing that, that she asks of us from her son, really the one thing that he asks of us through her, is that we offer our sufferings to the Father in reparation for the sinfulness of humanity. In other words, that's the one desire of God, is that we unite our own particular sufferings, even to the point with some noble souls of taking on a little bit more than what they have naturally in the terms of suffering, so that we might offer it to the Father in reparation for the sins of humanity, for all those who don't care. You know, that's why I like that prayer so much, you know, uh, that, that unites that, that very idea. I love thee, I adore thee, I worship thee. I ask pardon for those who do not love thee, do not adore thee, do not worship thee, O Lord. We're doing our little part to cover over the negligences and the sins of so many people who, who don't even think that far in the spiritual life and who are the source of so many great offenses that really hurt the Father. So... Uh, I, I just think there's great wisdom in that, offer it up, even though it may cause some of us to be a little bit aggravated at times. Basically, God can take our suffering and make good things come out of it. Absolutely. So how does that work? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it comes back to grace. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Father Mike said before, we worship uh, a loving, merciful uh, Wonderful, amazing God that can do things that we have trouble comprehending. Um, we have a, a finite view, a finite understanding of things, of the situation of the world, of our personal situation, and yet, you know, God is over all and He can do amazing things that are beyond our comprehension. One of the other sayings I heard a lot um, when I was a kid um, is uh, when it comes to suffering, God only gives you what you can handle. Right. Um, are, there, are there degrees of suffering? Oh, sure. Are there, are there different kinds of suffering? I mean, are, is there mental suffering, physical suffering, 
spiritual suffering. All of those all things. All of the above. <laughs> all of the above. Huh? All of the above, yeah. And sometimes the mental suffering, the spiritual suffering is far greater than the physical suffering, you know, uh, because it isn't so obvious. You know, God can use it all, and he will use it all if we're willing to, to share it with him, you know. Mm-hmm. Some great spiritual writers have admired and said in writing and in their talks, they have admired people who have to suffer a great deal. They would compliment them by saying, God must really love you because he's sharing the ability to, to suffer with you, mm-hmm. he's sharing an intimate part of his own divine life with you. And the rea- he's sharing his grace, as Gary said, with you. The question is, are we going to be willing to accept that? to join him in that. He will not expect of us more than he has given us the ability to handle. That's very, very true. So we can never say to God, well, I can't do this because it's more than I can handle. Uh, but if he gives you a great deal of suffering, it's a sign that he he thinks that you can handle it. And uh, I know there are there have been several times in my life where it's it's like you're going, oh God, please just dial it back just a little bit. Sure. Because I, and there's I'm not, nothing wrong with that. I'm not so either. sure I can handle this. A lot this. of people wonder, I, I know you, we asked, you asked this a little bit earlier, whether or not it was possible for us to question God and his action and all that, and even getting angry at God. And uh, I think if we are close enough to God to get angry at him about something. That's a pretty good sign. <laughs> so, And I think when you're talking about dealing with suffering, it's important not to try to deal with it on your own, but seek God's grace to assist you in that suffering. Sure. You know, So that's part of suffering well, is, is not trying to take it on yourself, but to, right. but to seek God's grace in that situation. I asked Father Marty one time if it was okay to be angry at God. And he said, yeah, it's okay to be angry. Sure. Of course um, it is. You, you, every relationship you have, you're bound at some point. You're, you know, your sure. spouse or whatever. You're, you're going to have times where you're going to get angry with each as other. As long as that's not the end of the relationship. That's right. only part of the relationship. Sometimes, you know, it's necessary to have a little problem there in order to, to uh, begin the communication. And so... Yeah, when I think of being angry at God, I always think of the the movie Forrest Gump, mm-hmm. when Lieutenant Dan is they're in the storm, and Lieutenant Dan is up in the top of the mast of the boat, and there's lightning going all over, and he's up there going, "Come on, God, hit me, yeah. hit me, strike me down." And when he comes out the other end of it after the scene is over, he's made his peace with God, and, sure. and everything's okay everything's after that. Okay. Um, I think of St. Teresa, the big St. Teresa, when she was riding her horse and she was going someplace and she had all of her her vestments on, you know, all her habit and everything, and, and the horse threw her and she wound up in a creek and she's just totally sopped with water. And she looks up to God and she says to him, if this is the way you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few of them. <laughs> I think that's great. Um, I think that um, Father Mike Schmitz might be listening to Pastor's Perspective. We oh, mentioned wow. we mentioned yesterday we, or last week we, we might wondered if maybe he was listening. We're flattered. That's great. And, <laughs> uh, and in episode uh, 39 last this Wednesday, uh, when I got down to the last three or four minutes of it, Father Mike was talking about 
He addressed God allowing evil and suffering. And uh, I just wanted to play the clip for you here real quick, and then we'll get your thoughts on it. And then lastly, we have God's power is mysterious. And why do we say it's mysterious? Because, uh, well, because here is God who's all-powerful, and he's all good. We talked about this before. The mystery and the scandal of evil that says, wait a second, faith in God, the Father Almighty, can be put to the test by the experience of evil and suffering 272 goes on to say, God can sometimes seem to be absent and incapable of stopping evil. And so we ask that question, God, is he, God, are you incapable of stopping evil? God, are you absent? And yet God's answer, and we're going to talk about this so many times in the next number of days and weeks. God's answer is it says this in the most mysterious way, again, God's Power is mysterious. In the most mysterious way, God the Father has revealed his almighty power in the voluntary humiliation and resurrection of his son by which he conquered evil. So God's power is made manifest not by squashing evil, not by by eliminating evil from the world. His power is by entering, is, is evidenced by entering into evil, by allowing suffering to overwhelm himself, him, him on the cross through which he conquers evil. And, and that's why 273 says, only faith can embrace the mysterious ways of God's almighty power. Because, I mean, that takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of trust to be able to say, God, I, I would rather that you take away the evil. I'd rather you take away the suffering. But God does not remove the suffering. He redeems the suffering. Once we get to that place, once we get that place of, of faith and hope, then we realize that nothing is impossible with God. That is so true, so true. I always think of the last second to the last scene in the the uh, Passion of the Cross of the Christ, that beautiful film that came out a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and you see our Lord on the cross, but you also see the evil one in the background, and there's this battle actually between them. Uh, is he is the Lord going to go all the way? to offering his entire life and his entire death in fulfillment of the will of the Father? Or is there going to be somehow a capitulation? And Father, he finally says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit and dies. And that tear comes down from heaven and it splashes the whole scene with sanctifying grace and evil is destroyed. But it's destroyed through his fully free acceptance of, of his own death as an offering to the Father, as a sacrifice. And the suffering that led and up to And the that. suffering that accompanied all of that, yes. Some people can handle more suffering than others. Sure. And I, I think of those St. Jude's Children's Hospitals TV ads that you see where they're asking for donations, and you see some of those children in there with, with cancer and, and just sick. And I can't even imagine being the parents sure. of, of one of those children or of any of those children. Um, the, the, the amount of suffering and heartache that they go through. And another thing that comes to my mind is parents who lose a child. Oh, absolutely. Um, I can't imagine that uh, circumstance in my life. How do you, 
it's easy for somebody in that situation to feel like they've been abandoned by God. Absolutely. Um, how do you explain or how do you rationalize that feeling of being abandoned by God in that in a time like that? I think it would be a very natural feeling to have. You know, as pastoral ministers... We have, we're, we're challenged to walk with a person that's experiencing great suffering like that because we might understand part of what they're going through, but, you know, there are, there just are uh, types of suffering that, that only the person that's going through it can understand, but our, our role as a pastoral minister is to walk with them in that suffering, have empathy for them, walk with them, pray, pray, and pray some more. But uh, yeah, it, choose words carefully. You would want, not want to speak something that, that sets you apart from that suffering. You, you're, the goal is to join together and walk with them in their suffering. That kind of makes me think of the, the Footsteps poem where it talks about um, Jesus walking with you during your journey. Mm -hmm. And the person who's walking with Jesus says, but, but Jesus here, when I was going through this terrible amount of suffering, there's only one set of footprints in the sand. Mm -hmm. And Jesus looks at him and says, those were the times when I was carrying you. We're never abandoned by God. He's no, always there. Always, God is always with us. Very good. I think what, what Gary was saying there so beautifully was that uh, we shouldn't come up with an easy answer to the suffering. Uh, even though we may know theologically and pastorally and spiritually and everything else what the real answer is, we shouldn't come up with that answer as, as a final solution at that particular time. We have to enter into the, the emotion that they're going through, we have to appreciate as much as we can, and we can't appreciate it fully, all the pain that they're going through, and to let them know that we're there with them. So many times, you know, people say, well, I hate to go to wake services, or I hate to go and visit the dying in the hospital, because I never know what to say. It's not mm -hmm. necessary to say anything. Mm -hmm. It's just necessary to be there, you be know. present. The present, and to be there, that in itself, is the best thing you can possibly say. And so that's the way we've got to be with them and their suffering. All right, very good. Believe it or not, we have uh, come up to the end of our hour wow. again. Uh, Father Mike, would you like to uh, take us out with a blessing here? I will be happy to. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this hour that we've had together in trying to understand uh, the unbelievable mystery of suffering. Give us the grace to empathize with all of those who suffer that mystery of the cross and help us to offer it up to the Heavenly Father the way he asks of us so that we might be worthy of his love and forgiveness and so that we might also know that his answer is the true answer to it. We ask all of this through Christ Jesus our Lord and in his name I bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Mike, for that blessing. You're welcome. Okay, we've reached the end of another hour and the end of this show. Pastor's perspective for next week, and that will be the first Sunday of Lent, 
We'll hop back to chapter four in Matthew's gospel. And as we open the Lenten season, we will be starting a three-part series on confession. The shows are still coming together. I don't exactly have it all planned out yet, uh, but it will include investigating our conscience, preparing for confession, and the sacrament itself. Until next week, remember, Jesus died and rose from the dead to save you from sin and death. It would be a real shame to not take advantage of this opportunity to live a new life in Christ. We invite you to attend Mass with us. Consider this a personal invitation to come home to the Catholic Church. If you are attending Mass, invite someone to join you. I'd like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. Join us again next week for another episode of Pastor's Perspective. Deacon Gary, I appreciate you coming in. Oh, my pleasure. It was a wonderful addition to the show. Father Mike, thanks again. Thank you. We will talk to you again next week. Until then, share Christ with everyone you meet. Good night and God bless. KCDM would like to let everyone know that if you haven't had a chance to listen to Pastor's Perspective, the shows are posted on our website, kcdmradio.org, and you can hear Pastor's Perspective anytime you have time to listen to them. Drop into the website and give us a listen. You can hear Pastor's Perspective every evening at 9 o'clock after the Rosary on KCDM. You can also pick up the show at 5 p.m. on Saturdays and 2 p.m. on Sundays. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. 